tonight, I want to bring a message, seven reasons why we preach on heaven, or seven reasons why we enjoy preaching on heaven. Would you turn in your Bible to John the 14th chapter and Revelation chapter 21? John chapter 14 and Revelation 21. I'm using a Bible tonight. I love Bible, the the Bible. I love different copies of the Bible. When we got back from the convention, the messengers that went from our church to the convention presented me a beautiful, beautiful maroon Bible. It's a study Bible, the Hebrew-Greek study Bible. And I've enjoyed using it. I enjoy using it very much. Through the years, people have given me Bibles. I call this my heaven Bible. I don't preach out of it very often, but when I preach on heaven, I preach out of this Bible. The swordsman gave me this Bible. Those men and women who have been called into the Lord's service a number of years ago, they gave me this Bible just because they wanted to, just out of love. I've been the recipient of so many gifts of love. It stirs and moves my heart deeply. And I cannot tell you the appreciation of my soul for people's interest and encouragement and love. And I've been a recipient of a lot of it. God bless you. And it's an honor to preach out of this Bible given to me by men and women who have been called into the Lord's service. Many of them out serving various places right now. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for this night and all we've experienced. So grateful for the delegation from the Old Log Church here tonight and for the revival meeting. The way God has blessed. Thank You for Brother Johnny Deacons and his ministry of love and involvement and interest and concern and faithfulness for 13 years there. Lord, I thank you tonight for all of our staff, the way they've blessed our church and our life, and our work, this work for God. We pray now that thou wilt open the, the, the word of God to us and may we see the joys and the thrills of heaven. And we pray that somebody who is here tonight who has never been saved will come to know the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. In John chapter 14, it was the night before Calvary. And the Lord Jesus gathered his best friends together. You know, it's something wonderful to have like-minded friends, isn't it? Somebody has said, if you... At the end of life, if you have one or two real friends who have stuck with you through the years, you're very fortunate. We have lots of acquaintances, lots of associates, lots of people we work with. But there are not very many that you can unburden your heart to. Just pour your heart out to and know that they understand, they love you, and they'll pray with you. You can just talk things through together. Well, that's what Jesus did with these disciples. The night before Golgotha, I think Judas had already gone. There were just the eleven. 
And the Lord began to say to them something about his decease at Jerusalem for the sins of the world. Maybe Peter had already said, Lord, don't do that. Don't talk like that. Jesus had to say, thou art an offense to me, Peter. You don't mean to be, but thou art an offense to me. For this cause came I forth. And their hearts were in anguish. They really loved Jesus. How much do we love Jesus? We sing, oh, how I love Jesus. But I wonder how much we really love him. They loved the Lord. And when he talked to them about dying on the cross, they couldn't understand. And their hearts were deeply moved and burdened. That one who, with whom they had served three years, they ate with him, they slept with him, they prayed with him, they walked with him, they taught with him, they reported to him, they were with him all the time. And now he said, I'm going away. I'm going to die for the sins of the world and they were brokenhearted. And out of that heartbreak, the Lord Jesus gave us some of the most precious words that have ever been recorded in anywhere in the Bible. The 14th chapter of John, Jesus began to say to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye you know, and the way ye you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We're told a little bit more about heaven when we come to Revelation 21, the last part of the Bible. And the Lord has given John that revelation, the unveiling of things that are yet to be seen. And John tells us in chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea, no more separation. John was on the Isle of Patmos when he, re when he wrote that, or when he was given that vision. And all around him was a sea. John says there's no more sea, no more separation forever. You ever been separated from the folks that you love? Have you ever walked down as far as you could go to the seashore? just before a loved one crosses the sea over into the glory. And you stand there, sort of waving. You've gone as far as you can go. You've done all you can do, and you just stand there. And John says, that's not gonna happen over in heaven. There's no more separation, no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, 
neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. When we talk about heaven, we read about heaven in the Bible. Sometimes we read about one heaven or another or another because there are three heavens mentioned in the scripture. Some people speak of seven heavens. I know of about three that are mentioned in the scripture. The first is the atmospheric heaven around the earth, which includes the stratosphere in which the astronauts travel. And when we think of the heavens out there, sometimes those astronauts are out of space and out of sight, and we cannot even see the ships in which they sail around this earth and around this globe, but they're out there. We get in touch with them by radio or by television. It's a marvel. It's a miracle. We can't even see them. We can't even imagine the space line that divides us from them, but there they are, and we get a picture of them on television. They're out there in the stratosphere. And then secondly, there's the stellar heaven, sometimes called the staller heaven, which contains the great universes that we see on a starry night. Out at the Royal Ranch, we would take hikes at night, purposely, late in the night. Lots of times we city dwellers don't have an opportunity to see all the stars and the planets and the galaxies and the Milky Way and all the things that God has put there. We go out there in the night and just sit there and just take it all in. I don't know whether it means as much to others as it does to me, but just sit there and watch what God has made. My soul cries out, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, how great thou art. That's the second heaven that we're looking at as we see all those planets and all the constellations and the stars. But they tell us that in the north, there's a void place. And uh, they train their microscopes. They train their telescopes. They train all of their visual ability upon that area. And they say that there's a hole in space. And there are no stars there. There are no planets there. It's just like a hole. And they have gotten the greatest microscopic power and telescopic power they possibly can find. And they've looked into that hole and they've seen beautiful prisms and colored lights and things that are even difficult to explain in scientific terms. And the Bible says, God hath set his throne in the north. And out there, out there beyond that hole in space, maybe it's in the north, God has established his throne. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I'm not talking about where the astronauts sail or what we look at on the starry night, but out beyond that, talking about God's heaven the place where God dwells the heaven of heavens we read in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 Paul says I knew a man in the flesh 14 years ago whether really in the flesh or in the spirit I can't tell but he was caught up to the third heaven and he saw things that were not legal or lawful for man to see and he didn't tell us anymore but he did say I have not seen neither hath ear heard, 
Neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. But he hath revealed them to us by his Spirit. And so what I want to talk to you tonight is by direct revelation, by the Spirit of God, as we talk about God's wonderful heaven. Now, we're told that there are going to be some changes in the new earth and the new heaven. There's no more sea. Two-thirds of the present earth is covered with water. Of the remaining one-third, a large area is worthless because of mountains and deserts. The new earth may not be limited to the present size. 25,000 miles in circumference, 8,000 miles in diameter. The new earth is going to be the Christian's heaven. It will come down from heaven. It will be a city of righteousness. God's tabernacle will no longer be in the third heaven. He will move his headquarters to the new earth. Heavenly fellowship in the family of God, just like it was before the flood, it will be once again. Tears will be wiped away. There will be no more death and no more pain and all things will be made new and man's thinking and thirst for God will at last be satisfied. Now there are going to be some things we're not going to sing in heaven. Master the tempest is raging, the billows are tossing high, skies o'ershadowed with blackness and all of that. We're not going to sing that song. I like to sing it here because it brings encouragement. We're not going to sing that in heaven. There won't be any tempests. There won't be any black clouds. There won't be anything to make us afraid. Another song I like to sing. I'm not going to sing it in heaven, so I like to sing it here all we can. Tempted and tried, we're oft made to wonder. Sing it with me. Why it should be thus all the day long While there are others living about us Never molested though in the wrong We're not going to sing that anymore no more in heaven. Better sing it all you can here, because that won't be true in heaven. Carol sang a song tonight. We're not going to sing part of it when all my labors and trials are over. We're not going to have any labors and trials. They'll all be over, and we'll be there. And there's another song that saddens me we're not going to sing. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. I'm sorry we can't do that anymore when we get to heaven. All the rescue of the perishing that we're going to do has to be done right here while we're here. There won't be any rescuing the perishing forever in heaven if we understand the Bible right. So I want to tell you tonight, my friend, if you're perishing, if you're here tonight and you're lost, let us rescue you tonight. Let Jesus Christ, the rescue specialist, come to you and lift you out of the sinking, shifting sands of time and, and sin and put your feet on the rock of Christ because it can't be done in heaven. And friends, if you've got anybody that you care about, 
You want to see them saved, a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or a brother or sister, mother or daddy, anybody. If you want to see them saved, go after them now. And please don't despise when we beg you to go visit them. Please don't despise when we say the main business of the church is to go after lost souls. For I want to tell you when we get to heaven, there won't be any more lost souls to win. Forever and forever, we can't do it. There may be some tears that God will have to wipe away when we look over there at the great white throne judgment and see somebody we loved having to hear God's voice, depart from me, I never knew you. William Shakespeare said, the love of heaven makes one heavenly. You think of that. Thomas More said, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Job 3.17, there the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary be at rest. Psalm 46.4, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. Zechariah 8.5, the streets of the city shall be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. 2 Corinthians 5.1, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Hebrews 10, 34, you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance which is undefiled which is incorruptible, which fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by faith, by, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last day. Second Peter 3.13, we according to his promise look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. In Revelation 22.5, there is no night there. Well, I want to give you some reasons why I preach on heaven. I want to just say this about heaven. In Texas tonight, we have a team that are down there ministering. I love those people. I feel kin to them, like-minded with them, because they love souls. They, they've gone all that distance to go after lost souls and try to rescue the perishing and win, weep o'er the erring ones and try to lift them to Jesus. And I thank God for them, but I can't see them. I don't see them, do you? I know they're there. How do you know they're there? Well, somebody said they heard them on the telephone. They said their bus got there. We just believe that by faith. How many of you have seen them since they got there? And yet I want to tell you, down there in the valley, 1,200 miles from here, part of us are there. We can't see them, but they're there. It's just as real as if we could see them. I think over in Korea tonight is our very dear, precious missionary family, Brother Ms. Takoi. According to their schedule, I believe they're supposed to be in Korea now. I don't see them there. I don't think, how could I know they're there? Just by faith. I'm sure they're there, but I don't see them. They're walking around. They're, it's already tomorrow there. Isn't that interesting? It's not Sunday anymore, it's Monday over there. And they're out there 14 hours ahead of us, 
I mean 24 hours ahead of us and more than that. I don't know what it is. But anyway, it's already tomorrow there. And they're walking around. They're doing things, but, but I can't see them. But I'm sure by faith that they're there. I have some very, very precious loved ones who are in the glory tonight. They're over in heaven. I can't see them. I can't even get in touch with them by telephone. Can't see them by television. Can't hear from them by radio. But this book tells me they're there. And I believe it. And they're over there in that place where there's no night. We can't see them, but they're there just as real as that team is in Texas and our missionaries are in Korea and going to Japan. That loved one, mom, dad, husband, wife, brother, sister, little boy, little girl, they're over there in the heaven with God. Isn't it wonderful? Think about that. That's the reason I like to talk about heaven. It's real. It's real. Now I want to give you seven reasons and I'll try to be as fast as I can if I can tell the truth. I want to tell you seven reasons why I like to preach about heaven. Number one, because heaven is above the earth in its preparation. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. He said that 2,000 years ago. He's been building a city all these years. And this scripture says something about that. Listen to this. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God. Now, isn't that interesting? John wrote that just a little while after Jesus went back to the glory. Now, the Lord said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. I suppose that must have happened in 33 A.D. Jesus said that. In about 95 A.D., John was out on the Isle of Patmos, and Jesus said, Hey, John, I want you to write this vision. You tell them that I'm getting that city ready for them. And you tell them about it. Here it is, over there in that city. I want to tell you, it's like a bride adorned for her husband. And it's going to come down out of heaven prepared just like I want it to be prepared. And so that wonderful city is prepared by Jesus. We think of all the cities here in the earth and the way they were prepared. I, I like to go to Washington, D.C. They tell us that that's the most uh, well-arranged city in America. They say that they took great designs and great stress to write, to make all these streets diagonals and so on, pointing down to certain places, but I want to tell you, it's a maze of streets and lanes and byways and highways and superways. And if you don't know where you're going, you can get lost in Washington. But it's not like that in heaven. Jesus has prepared a wonderful city and its preparation is higher than the preparation of the greatest cities of this earth. Secondly, heaven is above the earth in so many ways I'm almost at a loss to tell you where and what. But first of all, heaven is above the earth in that its sorrows cannot, the sorrows of earth cannot be ignored. I think what I'd like to say is that heaven is above the earth in, as to its antenna. <laughs> you put a big television antenna on your house 
And if you point it the right way, you can get all kinds of stations, but you're still limited. You can't pick up Korea and California unless you're a ham operator. And I don't know whether you then you could pick up television stations like that. You have a huge aerial, but there's some places you can't get. I want to tell you heaven has an antenna that is greater and bigger and more intensive than any antenna on the earth. And the least tiny little sorrow or tear in the earth, heaven hears it. The least little prayer made by the least saint, heaven stops and says, wait a minute, listen, hear that man crying. Hear that little girl cry? Hear that little boy down there? Oh, heaven hears about it. And I like to talk about heaven because heaven is above the earth as to what it can hear as to the sorrows and hurts of people who look forward to going to heaven. I want to tell you, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to talk about heaven or to enjoy heaven. We're told in the scripture that we can let heaven come down and fill our hearts. I think that's the reason God's people like to say, oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I shall never forget when heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Now that doesn't mean that, that we're, we really know everything about heaven right here, but we do sing songs that say this is like heaven to me. And heaven, I like to talk about it because it's above the earth as to what it can hear in the heart cries of people. Have you ever had a brokenness in your soul? Have you ever hurt inside? And you thought, who could I talk to about this? Who would really understand? And so you think, well, I'll talk to this person. And then something says, no, that, you can't do that. And you say, well, I'll talk to this person. I'll talk to this person. And you have to mark a lot of people off your list and finally maybe God will give you one person you can talk to. Well, you can talk to heaven. Do you know that? Any day, any hour, any time, you can take your burdens to heaven. And God's telephone line is never busy. He's interested. One of our families lost a little cat. Precious little girl came and told me about it. She cried. I cried too, inside. And I want to tell you, you may think this is foolish tonight, but I think heaven heard that. You know why I think that? Because animals are creatures that God made. And who is the God to those creatures? God is, but He's made us in charge of the animals. And if God cares, when a human being is in trouble, do you not think that he expects us to care? When a little animal is in trouble, you think, preacher, you've gone off your rocker. No, that's what I think. I think that. You may not agree with it. That's fine. I didn't ask you. That's what I think. I think God hears about the sorrows and hurts of earth. In our Sunday school class this morning, there was a man telling about a tragedy they had in their house. They had a little dog, precious dog. I've seen that dog many times. Every time I went there, it barked at me. I tried my best to make friends with that dog. But he knew, he was, he knew I wasn't afraid of him, so he'd bark at me. They say he bites some people. He never did bite me. I wouldn't, you know, I'm not scared if he'll bite me. But he would bark at me. 
though the day he died it broke the little boy's heart hurt the rest of the family and the, when the man told me about it there were tears in his eyes you ever get attached to a little animal like that I hope you have when I was six years old I had a big collie dog named Highland somebody gave him a bone he choked over it and he died and I cried we had a funeral for him I've never forgotten him Highland beautiful brown and white collie with a long nose and deep blue eyes he was bigger than I was when I was six years old and I cared about him sitting next to this man in our Sunday school class was another man who just had lost his eight-year-old son now I want to tell you God hears that heart cry we could sort of empathize with this man that lost the dog and I think we need to but God in heaven everybody in heaven knew about that little boy that died and heaven cares I like to talk about heaven because heaven cares about what goes on on the earth and it has that huge antenna system it hears our tears our prayers I think heaven hears our repentance listen have you ever really repented not much repentance goes on here in the earth I'm sorry how many times have you really been broken broken in your heart broken in your soul over sin your sin other people's sin you've been broken to tears how many of you have ever gotten down on your face before God and cried unto him listen this church if any church in all the world has had reason to get on our knees before God in repentance we have to be broken before God over sin and I believe I have good news for you heaven hears that when we when we talk to God about sin when we repent a broken and a contrite heart O Lord thou wilt not despise heaven hears I like to talk about heaven because of its huge antenna system I must move on I'd stay there for an hour I like to talk about that but thirdly heaven is above the earth in its sweet peace I told you that Thomas More said earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal heartaches heartbreaks sorrow all of that is banished the shadows deepen my heart bleeds I will not question the way God leads but this side of heaven we know in part I will not question a broken heart but we'll talk it over in the by and by we'll talk it over my Lord and I I'll ask the reasons and he'll tell me why when we talked it over in the by and by and he'll whisper peace 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 you ever had a storm in your life of Vesuvius going on and an eruption and oh you were so disturbed and you just had almost a mental problem over the disturbance that was going on in your soul and there was no peace and then somehow you were able to take it to God and God whispered peace to your heart that's the way it is going to be in heaven fourthly heaven is above the earth in its permanency here we have no continuing city but over in heaven it's going to be permanent 
years ago, in 1966, I went to Lebanon, went through Beirut, where all the trouble has gone on in the last few years. Went out and saw those wonderful cedars of Lebanon. I went out to Mount Hermon, where I think the transfiguration took place. And then we traveled through the desert area by Baalbek. Sometimes it's called Baalbek. It's the ancient city. And I looked over there in 66. This was a long time ago, a number of years ago. It's been changed since then. But I looked over there and I saw all these big pillars and big monuments up there. And I said to the guide, what is that? And he sort of stopped us all and he smiled and he said, you know what? He said, you're looking at something that Abraham saw. Abraham saw it. Yeah, only he said, when Abraham saw it, it didn't look like that. It was a great city. It was the city of Baalbek. It was the temple to Baal. And that's the kind of paganism that Abraham came into when he came down into this land called Israel or the land of Canaan or the land of promise. And I thought, that city, once in all of its glory and splendor, now it's just a bunch of ruins. They've tried to repair some of it, but it's still just ruins. Our plane flew into Athens airport and I got to the window and I looked and I looked and I said to somebody, I think the stewardess on the plane, I said, I want you to show me the Acropolis. I want to see the Parthenon. Well, she said, if you'll look as the plane goes around, she said, you'll see it's just a bunch of ruins over there. She's going in and out of Athens all the time. She had seen it many times and she could talk about it in a matter of fact tone. I'd never seen it before and I was excited and I wanted to see it. She said, well, and we, the plane banked and she said, there it is, there it is. And I looked down there and there was crumbling ruins and pillars sticking up and partial stones missing. And I thought of the Parthenon in Nashville in all of its splendor and beauty that's made as an exact replica except the dimensions a little bit smaller of that ancient Parthenon in Athens. And when I looked down there and then later drove down there and then walked up to Mars Hill and then saw the Parthenon itself and I saw all of that, all of the, all of that ancient place and it was just in ruins. I thought heaven's never, never going to be like that. Here we have a transitory, temporary dwelling. We have temporary cities. If the Lord tarries long enough, buildings that are being built in Bowling Green, Kentucky now, they'll be destroyed. I looked at some of the buildings that have been built since I've lived in Bowling Green. They've been destroyed. Other buildings have been put in their place. <clears throat> Those buildings will be torn away. Other buildings will be put up. The cities go and the cities come. But in heaven we have permanency. Here, we have no continuing city. Fifthly, heaven is above the earth in its expanse of beauty. I like that. I like to think of that. It took me two days to go and look at London. <laughs> I'd like to spend a long time there, but I looked at it in two days. Went to Rome and spent three days looking at it. Went to the Sistine Chapel. They knocked and not got me out of there. Spent hours and hours and hours in the Sistine Chapel. I went to Washington. Spent four days. I'd like to have had 20 days. But I want to tell you, it's going to take an eternity to view heaven. All eternity. And we're not going to still see all of it. 
in its splendor, in its beauty. Look at verse 10, Revelation 21, 10. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. It had a great wall and high and had 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and the names written thereon which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel verse 14 and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb <clears throat> he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof and the city lieth four square verse 18 and the building of the wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass and the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. Verse 21, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it was transparent glass. I've read of a place that's called heaven, sweet home of the happy and free, a haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. And if you read between the lines, you read that heaven is 1,500 miles long and 1,500 miles high, and 1,500 miles wide. You say, preacher, you taking that literally? Yes, I'm taking it literally. The scripture says that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. He was literally born there. Scripture says that he was to die with two sinners and wicked men. That actually happened. It said he would be despised and rejected of men. That happened. And this Bible says the city lieth four square. And if I read between the lines and measure the measuring lengths I find that it's 1500 miles long 1500 miles high 1500 miles wide in that great and glorious city there are streets over streets and stories over stories up up to a height of 1500 miles high and each street 1500 miles long solid cube of golden construction stretching 1500 miles every way the base of the city would stretch from farthest Maine to farthest Florida and from the Atlantic to Colorado. It would cover all of Ireland and Britain and France and Spain and Italy and Germany and Austria and most of Turkey and half of European Russia taken together. In this city of gold, every street is one-third the diameter of the earth. That's heaven. And I'm going to tell you, there's plenty of room for those that are going to be there. No housing shortage. And I don't know how God's going to arrange it, but these avenues, 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, and so on. And there are going to be plenty of mansions. In my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms. No problem there. The problem is getting people out of hell into heaven. The problem is getting folks on earth to believe that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And urging them with all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our might to turn away from hell and turn to heaven. And there's only one way, Jesus said, when Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? And the Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Heaven is above the earth as to its expanse and beauty. Then sixthly, heaven is above the earth as to its ruler. I like to talk about that. Here we have Hitlers and Stalins and Mussolinis and Maos and Khrushchevs and these new men that over in Russia they have so many you can't keep up with who's going to rule today they might be out of rule tomorrow but all those men 
with all their power and all their prowess, including all the men of America like Franklin Roosevelt, whom I admired and respected, and, whom, and Richard Nixon, and Lyndon Johnson, and General Eisenhower, and Ronald Reagan, and all these men, some of them we respect and thank God for, but I want to tell you, they all have human foibles. They all make all kinds of mistakes. And unless they have in their heart, like I think our present president has, a desire toward God, and he prays and asks God what to do, unless those leaders have a godly fear in their hearts, they're going to lead us away from God, down, down to the paths of destruction. But that's not the way it is in heaven. We have a leader in heaven, a ruler in heaven, that we can completely trust. His name is Jesus. Would you say his name with me? Jesus. Again, Jesus. There's just something about that name that dispels our fears. On his anniversary as a first year as a Christian, Charles Wesley wrote, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. And the chief focus of heaven will be Jesus. Now I want to talk for a minute about some people that are going to be in heaven. That's the seventh reason I like to talk about heaven. And I want to talk about the sixth and seventh reason together. The Bible says, if you'll notice in verse 23, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Who is the Lamb? It's a capital L, underscored in your Bible. That's Jesus. He's the light thereof. He's the light of the world. When we first meet Jesus in John chapter 1, he says there was a man sent from God to bear witness of the light. Jesus is that light. And the world has never been able to put out that light. But verse 24 tells us about some others are going to be there. The nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. The gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there is no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into that city. The inhabitants of heaven. You think of it. Who's going to be there? You got, if you've got somebody going to be in heaven... Somebody that's dear to you, you look forward to seeing them again. Lift your hand. 